In the time we have together tonight, I want to speak to you about the right way to worship God. The right way to worship God. And the thundering questions I'm intending to answer by the end of this message are as follows. Is there a right way to worship God? Is there a wrong way to worship God? Who sets the guidelines or the standards in worship? Is God pleased with any kind of worship men offer to Him? Do we have the freedom to incorporate what we like or what we think is best in worship? And how do we know if we or others are worshiping God in the way that He has prescribed? Getting a little bit more specific in my questioning, let me ask these questions. Does God accept the worship of every religion and every creed? Does He accept the worship of those who follow the teachings of Islam? Does God accept the worship of those who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses? Does God accept the worship of those who call themselves Mormons? Does God accept the worship of Catholics? Is God indifferent to their going to Mass, their lighting incense to saints, their attendance to the confessional booth, and their prayers to Mother Mary? Does God receive the worship of those who claim to speak in tongues? Is God pleased with people barking like dogs, floundering on the floor like a fish, and running around the auditorium claiming to be filled with the Spirit? Is it wrong for women to be pastors? Is it wrong for women to preach? How about those who identify with the LGBTQ belief system? There are plenty of places that call themselves churches who declare that God is love and that He is accepting of everyone and everything. So is He tolerating of this ideology? Is God content with churches having themed Sundays in which worshipers focus on something that is popular in the world? Is God satisfied with Super Bowl Sunday? Is God satisfied with Super Mario Sunday? Is God satisfied with Star Wars Sunday? How about Hawaiian Sunday? Or Second Amendment Sunday. Are these things just preferences? Are these things just denominational differences? Is God okay with every style of music performed in worship? Is He okay with churches darkening the platform and the auditorium using rock and roll music to excite the congregation to praise God? Would God be gratified if we did away with confrontational preaching in the church and substitute it with skits, movie clips, comedy shows, and small groups in which we can all discuss what we think the Bible says? Is God pleased with those who totally abandon being part of a local church 
There are many who say that they can worship God just as well on their fishing boat on Sunday mornings. Is God honored by such worship? All right, now having asked all these questions, the leading two questions of all questions that I have for you regarding worship are, how do you know what is right and what is wrong? And then, who says that some things are accepted in worship and others are not? If you say that God doesn't accept the worship of every religion, my question to you is, how do you know that? If you say that certain practices and philosophies among various denominations and churches are wrong, my question for you is, how did you come to that conclusion? Two-word question. Who says? And it is this one question that is the question that has been entirely abandoned, not only in the world, but among the greater majority of Christian churches. Who says? Isn't this the question often asked, sometimes with a rebellious tone, in the world and among Christian people today? Who says there is a right way and a wrong way? Who says that God is pleased with some things and displeased with other things? Who says that we don't have the freedom to do as we want to do? You see, the fundamental problem hitting us on every front is a problem of authority. We want to be our own authority. And we don't want anyone in our face telling us how we should live our lives or how we should worship God. We live in the days of judges where every man did what was right in his own eyes. And every man is doing what is right in their own eyes because they don't want to submit themselves to the authoritative truths of God's Word. And that's what it all boils down to. Worship has become an issue of preference, shaped by man's personal feelings and ideas because we don't believe that God's Word is the final authority for all things. Now, don't get me wrong. We are experts at saying, at declaring, that God's Word is our supreme authority for faith and practice. But when it really comes down to it, we act as if it is secondary to our desires, our preferences, and our wants. It is secondary to whatever others want in worship and whatever will get the results. So that being said, in our coming to the question, who says, in our evaluating the guidelines and standards of worship, it is essential that we come to the Word of God believing 
that God's word is true and that God has already declared to us how he should be worshipped. Where do we go to find out the way in which God desires to be worshipped? We go to the word of God. So turning to God's word. Let's examine the foundational elements of worship given to us by Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus says to the woman at the well, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth. Now, don't pass over that word must too quickly. Look at it again. Jesus, who is God, says that if others will worship him, it is essential. It is obligatory. It is required that they worship him in the way that he has prescribed, namely, in spirit And in truth. Now, breaking this one verse down for us into two parts, I want you to notice first that there is a declaration regarding who God is before he describes the way in which this same God ought to be worshipped. Speaking of the Father, Jesus says that God is a spirit. And this means that God the Father is not physical in nature and does not have a human body like we do. Now, this truth alone smashes the idea that everything in the universe has a soul and is divine. You've heard it before. God is the moon. God is the sun. God is the stars. God is in the rocks. God is in the rain. God is in the river. The ocean is God. Your pet dog is God. Your pet goldfish is dog. The mountains are God. I am God. You are God. God is in the physical elements of life. Well, Jesus' word smashes that idea. Jesus says that God, the Father, is a singular spirit. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He's a singular spirit. In fact, God is the sovereign spirit. He's the spirit of all spirits. And as the sovereign spirit, He is the uncreated spirit. He is eternal. He is invisible. He is infinite. He is Holy, He is everywhere present. He is all-knowing and all-wise. Now, question. Why do you suppose Jesus feels it necessary for us to understand who God is before He declares truth regarding how God ought to be worshipped? Before Jesus says, those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, Jesus says that God is a spirit. Why does he want us to understand who God is before he gives the way in which this God ought to be worshipped? Here's the answer. 
God gives the declaration regarding God's person because our beliefs affect our behaviors. Our creed affects our conduct. What we believe affects how we live. And God does not, I repeat, God does not accept ignorant worship. In other words, God cannot be worshipped rightly until he is rightly understood. And the author of Hebrews tells us this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. This is the foundation element of faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is. He that cometh to God must first believe that he exists. And that he is the sovereign creator. He that cometh to God must comprehend God. And so it is with worship. If God is to be correctly worshipped, God must be correctly known. We cannot be like those in Athens that the Apostle Paul came across who worshipped the unknown God. Can you think about that just for a moment? Let's say we gather for worship today and people come into our worship and they say, Who are you worshipping? And we reply by saying, We don't know. You don't know? No, he's unknown. We know that there is some being out there, but we don't know anything about him. Well, how can you worship somebody that you don't know? How can you properly adore that which is ignorant to your mind? You can't. And so Jesus would have us understand something about who God is Before we worship Him. And I think this is where we've gone wrong in our day regarding worship. We have forgotten who God is. We've brought God down to our level. We've made the Holy One as if He is somehow like us. And in doing that, it's affected our worship. When you have pastors who stand before people who preach the word of God and their shirt reads, Jesus is my homeboy, you're preaching a message, not by your lips, but by what your shirt says. You're making Jesus Christ the King of kings and Lord of lords as some street thug who walks among this world. Jesus says God is a spirit. God is a divine being. God is a life-giving being. God is incomprehensible. God is... Not to be limited to one particular place. God is not contained by anything that is material in nature. If you are going to worship God correctly, you must, you must, you must begin with this primary truth. 
And I'm submitting to you that the only way that we can worship God in truth is through Jesus Christ, the truth. If you are to know God, you are to know Him in Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God. Jesus Christ is God with us. And so again, you're confronted with the need of salvation. If you are ignorant of who God is, you need to look to Christ. You need to believe on Him He is God come in the flesh. He is the Holy One. So there's the declaration regarding who God is. And following the declaration regarding who God is, is the manner in which God ought to be worshipped. Notice it with me. Jesus says, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And here in the second half of the verse, we find two critical principles that ought to govern every aspect of our worship. So don't forget the opening questions. Does it matter how you and I worship? Does it matter how churches worship? Does God really care? Is He indifferent? Is He apathetic to what we do here in this world? Does it matter? Well, Jesus says that God is to be worshipped first... In spirit. This means that God is more concerned about the condition of one's heart more than the profession of one's lips and the external practices of one's actions. To worship God in spirit means that the worshiper is more concerned with spiritual realities, not so much with physical places, physical traditions, physical rituals, or physical objects. And in Isaiah chapter 1, we find a clear illustration of what this means. In Isaiah chapter 1, we read of Israel worshiping God externally as God had commanded them. They were offering sacrifices. They were observing the Sabbath day. They were affirming with their lips that God is. All while their hearts were detached from God. You see, they were going through the motions. They were worshiping God mechanically. They were lost in tradition. They were doing what they were doing because that is what they've always done. That is what was expected of them. But they were not worshiping God from their hearts. In fact, God through Isaiah tells them, I am nauseated. By your worship of me. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. I want your love. You see, Israel was not worshiping God in spirit from the inner man. And the same was true of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. The Pharisees dressed up in their outward religious garments. They kept the Sabbath day holy. They observed the law of Moses. They attended the physical synagogues. They were people of prayer and fasting. The Pharisees gave of their tithe. They believed the scriptures in an intellectual sense, while their hearts had no true love for God. 
And this was the rebuke of Jesus, right? These people draw near to me with their mouth while their hearts are far from me. They were not worshiping God in spirit. They were worshiping God in tradition. So when Jesus says that it is needful for worshipers to worship him in spirit, he means that he wants our heart. God is not interested in our dead duties. God is not interested in our religious rituals. God wants our inward affections to be fully given to Him. A broken and contrite spirit, God will not despise. So if we are going to worship God properly, we must worship Him from our hearts, wherever we find ourselves to be. And this is the context of John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, you'll find this Samaritan woman giving kickback to Jesus regarding physical places where God ought to be worshipped. Notice verse 20. Our fathers, speaking of the Samaritans, worshipped in this particular mountain at this particular location. Speaking of Mount Gerizim. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye, as a Jew, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. This woman is lost. She's doing what she is doing in her sin because she doesn't know God. Oh, she's speaking a lot about religion and religious tradition. But Jesus point blank says, you do not know what you worship because you don't know who you're worshiping. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father In spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Verse 24, God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, don't focus on physical locations. Don't focus on physical places. God wants your heart wherever you are. You are to worship Him in spirit. Whether you're in Jerusalem or Rome, you are to worship Him from your heart, whether you're in the temple or the wilderness, whether you're at home or in the church. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. Do you know God in the inner man? There will be many in that day who say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things externally? Have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? What are they missing? They're missing God. They're missing a heart radically transformed by the Spirit. They're missing the new birth. You come to church, you pray, you read the scriptures, that won't save you. You need a change of heart. 
You need to worship God from the inner man. Has your inner man been changed? Jesus says, they that worship him must worship him in spirit. That's the first critical principle that ought to govern every aspect of our worship. We don't carry on in external, physical pomp and circumstance just because that's what we've always done. And we worship God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, notice second. Jesus says, they that worship God must worship God not only in spirit, but in truth. In truth. Now, this simply means that God is to be worshipped in sincerity according to the entire counsel of God's Word. To worship God in truth means that there is a divine standard that ought to order and influence the way in which God ought to be approached. This means that every act of worship is to be guided and regulated not by how we feel, but by what God has said. Our worship of Him ought to be suitable to God's person and God's holy will. We ought to worship God according to His preferences, not ours. Are you with me? Don't lose me. Israel was sternly rebuked by the prophet Isaiah because they chose to worship God how they wanted. They came to that place to say, surely God will just accept our leftovers. Surely we can have one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity and God should be happy with that. No. And we look at the testimony of Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire before the Lord. They were struck down by God in judgment because they worshiped God according to the dictates of their own heart. And then Saul, Saul lost his kingship because he did not do things as God prescribed. The Pharisees were rebuked by Jesus because they abandoned the truths of God's word and chose to worship God according to their tradition. They worship God according to the changing opinions of the rabbis. Ye do err, not knowing the Scripture nor the power of God, Jesus says. In vain you do worship me, teaching for commandments the doctrines of men. In vain your worship is vain, it's vanity, it's empty, it amounts to nothing you're going about all these things looking like you know God, but you are nothing but dead men's bones. There's a right way to worship, but there's a wrong way to worship. Jesus is teaching us that God is to be worshipped in the way that He has prescribed for us. So let's go back to our opening questions. Is there a right way to worship God? Is there a wrong way to worship God? Is there a standard? Are there guidelines we ought to follow? Are there principles that we ought to funnel our practices through? Is it up to us? Is it a preferential thing? 
Is it a denominational thing? Is Pastor Casey just old-fashioned? Is Calvary Baptist Church just out of touch with reality? What's the answer? The answer is, God is the Spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We believe, as Bible believers, that all of our worship ought to be funneled through these two principles given to us by Jesus. We believe that God, through the truths, principles, and examples of both Old and New Testament, have given us the guidelines of worship. We believe that God's Word alone ought to be our singular guiding influence in life. We believe that God is to be worshipped in the beauty of His holiness. We believe that God is to be worshipped with reverence and godly fear. We believe that the worship of God is not to be fused with worldly associations and practices. We believe that worship ought to be serious and not flippant. We believe that worship ought to be done decently and in order. We believe that there is nothing in God's Word that slightly suggests that we have the right to worship God however we want. Excuse me, but where in Scripture do we find any allowance for turning God's house into a place of entertainment? Where do we find any justification for mixing light with darkness. Seriously. Give me a chapter. Give me a verse. Give me an example. Did the apostles dress up like Easter bunnies to attract the world to Christ at Easter? Did the prophets sit in front of the sanctuary of God dressed up like Santa Claus so kids can have fun? Did Paul tell Timothy in the pastoral epistles that he didn't care who the pastor of God's people is? Did he give the allowance for women to preach the word? Is the Bible true or not? I'm meddling now. Please give me verses, if you can, that rationalizes all the childish nonsensical, foolish things that take place in most churches week by week. And herein lies our problem. Our problem is we give lip service to belief in God's Word, but we truly don't believe it. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do that which gets people in the door. We want to do that which pleases others the most. We want to do what others are doing, all with little to no consideration of God's Word at all. And I say shame on us. You want to know what's wrong with our nation? This is it. Professing Christians are shaking their fist at God saying, we know what is best. We will do what we want to do your ways are old-fashioned. We need to help you out. What arrogance. What foolishness. What blasphemy. Listen, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about, quote, 
Bible-believing Christians. I'm talking about, quote, good, quote, conservative churches. The Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship Him ought to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Does God care how we worship Him? Jesus says that He does. Does God care how we worship Him? Just start reading the Scriptures from Genesis and work your way to Revelation and see the guidelines and standards and principles and truths and examples that show us how God ought to be approached in worship. If God didn't care how He's to be worshipped, He would have never given us His Word in the first place. Now there does exist, if we are going to be honest, there does exist some, I'll call it, wiggle room in the deciding of how the church approaches God, how the church orders its services Sunday by Sunday. Not everything is spelled out for us in detail, saying, Thou shalt have three songs, thou shalt have a scripture reading, thou shalt have five prayers, thou shalt have a 35-minute sermon, thou shalt do this and thou shalt do that. I think we can all agree that there is some freedom, there is some liberty in our coming to God and in our worship of Him. But I think we can all agree also that we've abandoned all principles. We've abandoned all guidelines that ought to direct how we come to God. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth.